If you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Zechariah. We'll be in Zechariah chapter 5 on this beautiful Sunday morning. It's amazing how, um, how good it is to sing and to hear the gospel. It reminds us of, in hysteria, uh, that God is still in control, that he is still sovereign, that he is still good, and that he is worthy of all of our praise. So what a great reminder we've had. So if you didn't get a chance yet uh, today, thank our worship, uh, our music teams for coming (laughs) Uh, and just uh, leading us in song and worship. As we open up God's word together, let us remind one another that this is not the first time the church has been in a situation like this. This is not the first time ever in all of history of the 2,000 years of the church that this has happened. I'm reminded of the reformers and how they had to go, still go door to door with the uh, death, uh, black death. And you're like, well, I think that was probably worse. Um, and they, they just, how the people of God just came together into worship. And they still rested on the sovereignty of God during that time. As we open up God's word, if you got it, Zechariah chapter 5, the word of the Lord says this. Again, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a flying scroll. And he said to me, what do you see? And I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits, and its width is 10 cubits. Then he said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole land. For everyone who steals shall be cleaned out according to what is on one side, and everyone who swears falsely shall be cleaned out according to what is on the other side. And I will send it out, declares the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter the house of the thief and the house of him swears falsely by my name, and it shall remain in his house and consume it, both timber and stones. Then the angel who talked with me came forward and said to me, lift your eyes and see what this is that is going out. And I said, what is it? And he said, this is the basket that is going out. And he said, this is their iniquity in all the land. And behold, the leaden cover was lifted, and there was a woman sitting in the basket. And he said, this is wickedness. And he thrusted her back into the basket and thrust down the leaden weight weight on its opening. Then I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, two women coming forward. The wind was in their wings, and they had wings like the wings of a stork, and lifted up the basket between the earth and heaven. Then I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they taking the basket? And he said to me, to the land of Shinar, to build a house for it. And when this is prepared, they will set the basket down there on its base. Again, I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, four chariots coming out from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black horses, and the third white horses, and the fourth chariot dappled horses, all of them strong. Then I answered 
Then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said to me, These are going out to the four winds of heaven after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. The chariot with the black horses goes towards the north country. The white ones go after them, and the dapple ones go towards the south country. And when the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he said, Go, patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. Then he cried to me, Behold, those who go towards the north have set my spirit at rest in the north country. And this is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father God, we just thank you for this chance we have to continue to worship you through the opening of your word. God, even though these are unique circumstances for our generation, Lord, I pray that we, you are indeed glorified during this time. Lord, I want to speak of you, praise you, and praise your name. Lord, there's no ability I can do this on my own, so by your Spirit, help me to preach this sermon with what is needed. Use this sermon, Lord, to bring glory to your name, and joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. And amen. The righteous Lord will reveal sin. That's what we see in these first few verses, in verses 1 to 4. And when you're reading this, you're kind of going, what in the world is going on? Right? We got a, uh, uh, we got a scroll. Uh, we got a woman in a basket. Some, and the angel says she's wicked. Um, and now we have four chariots. So what is going on in these two ver- visions? Zechariah 5 shows us these two visions as, as they are connected together. And as we look at this, we will see how God's dwelling will will get rid of the plague of sin. It will remove the plague of sin. So three points that we'll be looking at today is that sin will be revealed, sin will be dealt with, and God will set everything right again. So in this first part, this vision in verses 1 to 4, the vision along with the one after this are warnings. But they are also encouragements. Because God will deal with the problem of sin. He is not an absentee God, but He is active. I'm reminded once a few years ago, um, seeing a plane uh, with this big, huge banner being pulled behind it. I I still don't remember. I don't even think I could figure out what it was saying because it was flapping in the wind. But I do remember the banner and how everyone's eyes was drawn to this giant banner as it, as it flew through the sky. It was very hard to ignore. So when we come to this verse 1, we see, and again I looked in my eyes, and behold, a flying scroll. And then you look at this thing. This scroll is usually associated with the God's written word. And its length is 20 cubits, and its width is 10 cubits. So this thing is huge, okay? So cubit is generally about the forearm, a measurement of the forearm, which is kind of like odd because my forearms are unusually long, more than normal people. But the NIV uses this 30 feet long by 15 feet wide. Everyone is going to see this thing flying through the sky. Not one person out there is not going to see this. Like a banner for everyone to see, we see this flying scroll going across the sky. And then verse 3, it says, Then he said to me, the interpreting angel has to interpret what's going on because Zechariah, just like us, is like, what's with the flying scroll? 
right? There's not a secret here. Then he said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole land. This size shows that no one will escape its force. This is the curse that came along with the covenantal promise. God said, if you break my promise, if you break this covenant that I've made with you, there will be a curse. And this is the curse. And anyone who breaks it cannot escape it. It is huge. It will blanket everything. The scroll will relentlessly pursue thieves and those who swear falsely, even to their homes. There's no place for these people to hide among the people of God. On the scroll is written the curses that come along with it. The, 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 it is the result of an oath that the people of God had made to God, but they broke that oath. But why is there only two things that are mentioned here? Last time I checked, there were ten commandments in the commands. Because these two are kind of symbolism of all of them. So breaking either one of these is a symbol of breaking all of them. So God sends the scroll to put things right and to, to ensure that the guilty will not be acquitted. An action consistent with his character. We see this in Exodus 34, verse 7. Who will be by no means clear, uh, who will by no means clear the guilty? And here God is in verse 4. He says, and I will be the one that sends it out. I will send it out. This scroll is a word of God sent out by God and it shall enter into the house. I don't know about you, but my house is a comfortable place. When I get home, in fact, I'm thinking about it right now. When I get home, I'm putting my jogging pants on. Right? And my comfy sweater, maybe, I don't know. I, might, I have people coming over, so I might have to be more appropriate. But my house is a comfortable place. It's where I come and we hang out as a family. We play with the kids. We feel safe. It is home. You know, home is where the heart is. But what does it feel like when your home isn't safe any longer? Normally a house provides refuge, but here it brings destruction. The righteous God will deal with sin. Even the comfortability and the refuge that you think you're safe in will not keep you safe from God dealing with sin. He will deal with it. Nothing is safe from it. There's no way of running from it. The, this flying scroll filled with charges and judgment is a reminder that evil offends God. He looks, he knows, he cares, and he judges when God's people cheat one another or steal or fail to tell the truth or hoard toilet paper. <laughs> we laugh, but guys, I'm very disappointed in this. When students who are believers cheat on tests, God knows and he cares. When a Christian business person takes unfair advantage of a client or a staff person, God knows and he cares. When the Christian husband and wives deceive each other and break the covenant of their marriage, God knows and he cares. See, this large flying scroll in the sixth vision represents God's knowledge of the people's guilt and how no one will escape from this. And maybe you're going to ask, but what's right and what's wrong? Well, go to the Ten Commandments and you have a really good list of what's right and what's wrong. 
God will deal with sin. So how will you fare with it? How will you fare when God comes? Because we all have a problem, right? When I look at the Ten Commandments, I'm guilty of all ten, of breaking all ten. I stand before a God condemns for my sin. So how will you fare? How will I fare? We have all broken God's law, and none of us has loved God or others as Christ commands because we have broken God's law. We stand condemned. Because God is righteous, he will judge the lawbreakers like we see right here. And that judgment is eternal judgment and, uh, of all guilty lawbreakers, which is all of us. Not one of us is innocent. So if we are all guilty of breaking God's law and God will judge sin, how in the world do we get out of this mess that we find ourselves in? The answer is quite simply Jesus. Jesus Christ, who is God the Son, came into the world as a man to live a life perfectly obedient to all the commands of God the Father and to die the death that is required for the payment of sin, the breaking of the law, the death that I was supposed to do. On the cross, Jesus took the punishment we deserve, that I deserve to set the sinner free. Three days later, after he was crucified, Jesus rose from the dead, defeating sin and death and earning eternal life for those who simply trust in him. So the question is, what are you trusting in today? Let me ask you, that's a question that really judges a lot of our attitudes as we face the unknown. Folks, we're in the unknown right now. Stock markets are falling like crazy. When was the last time you saw gas at 82 cents? I'm filling up. If I had jerry cans, I'd be filling those up too. Viruses, pandemics, people are dying. So the question is, is what are you trusting in today? What are you resting in today? The gospel is not just something that saves me. The gospel changes how I look at everything. It affects how I face the unknown. It affects how I interact with other people. It affects if I'm going to hoard or not. It affects how I love my neighbors, how I love my brothers and sisters who may not be the most lovable person in the world. See, when I read this as a Christian, I'm reminded of the curse of the law that fell on Jesus. We see this in Galatians 3, where he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. Your sins will not be hidden from God. There is no escape from judgments. But it's only when you confess them, you will discover them and judge, you will discover a loving Savior who paid the price for that sin, for that breaking of the law. See, God is righteous. He will deal with sin. The question is, are you resting in the one who paid for your sin or are you resting in what you can do? See, we also see this in the next few verses, in verses 5 to 11, that righteous Lord will remove sin. In this vision, we have a woman. (laughs) This is weird, right? It's weird. Like, you can say that, right? In this vision, we have a woman in a measuring uh, basket. Okay? It's a small basket. It's actually really too small to fit an adult in. 
So then that automatically makes you think that this isn't actually a woman, it's symbolic of something, okay? So it's not like there's some sort of spousal abuse going on in this text, okay? So in this vision, we have a woman in a measuring basket, which is showing that God will judge sin, but also that he sovereignly removes sin. Lift your eyes and see what is going out in verse 5. And then verse 6, and I said, what is it? He said, this is a basket that is going out. And he said, this is their iniquity of their land. You see, God is removing, iniquity is sin. God is removing the sin from the land. Not only is he going to judge it, he's going to remove it. And behold, a leaden cover was lifted. You can almost picture like this, this, <laughs> this like little gnome or something in this basket, creepy something. Like I, I was, when I was reading this, I was thinking of Gollum from Lord of the Rings. And he's like peeping his head out of this, or her head, is peeping their head out of this thing and is about to escape. In verse 8, he said, this is wickedness. And then the angel comes and he thrusts her back into the basket, pushes it back down, thrusts down the lead and the weights on its opening. It's an amazing thing how God removes sin. God will not allow sin to just fester there to come back. He removes it. He takes care of it. It's gone. And then verse 9, Then I lifted up my eyes and saw, Behold, two women coming forward. There's a little debate here when you look at it about who these women are because storks are actually listed as unclean animals. In the, in the law. But regardless if they're good or they're bad, they're doing what God has told them to do. He, they take the iniquity, they take the wickedness out, and they bring her. Where are they taking the basket, he asked. He said to them in verse 11, to the land of Shinar, they're taking this basket. This is an older name for Babylon. It, it, it is maybe... Helps us, gives us this imagery of the Tower of Babel because it is a, a symbol of complete and utter opposition to God. Shinar, not Jerusalem, is the appropriate place for iniquity because Jerusalem is the dwelling place of the righteousness of God. God takes care of it, He gets rid of it. See, this vision makes a point that people don't like to hear today. We often hear that God hates sin, right? but loves the sinner. There's truth in this because it reminds us that while sin is certain of judgment, sinners can escape judgment through faith in Jesus Christ. But there's danger in saying that God hates the sin, but not the sinner, unless and until you repent. God's wrath burns against the sinner. You can't separate the two. Hell is not populated with sin. It's populated with sinners. The vision shows sin taken away, not in the abstract, but as it is a personalized thing. It tells us that there will be faces of real people in hell. 
See, the adulterers, the sinners who were driven out of God's land and transported to Babylon in this previous version will not remain there forever. They will be taken care of, which also leads us to this next point in verses 1 to 8 of chapter 6. The righteous Lord will set the world right again. The intelligence gathering is done. Remember back into Zechariah chapter 1, we had these four horsemen, right? We have these four horsemen, these scouts that were going out and scouting the land, showing that God is omnipresent and omniscient and he's all-powerful and all-knowing. He's in control. But they're not scouts anymore. These are chariots. These are the tanks. They are a symbol of the power of the king. And they go and they are sent out. They're sent out between these mountains of bronze, as verse 1 says. They're going out from the very presence of God from the entrance of heaven the Lord of hosts the Lord of the armies is now sending out his troops to deal with the sin once again and these are interesting chariots because if you realize about chariots is that they need flat land to work the mountains aren't even stopping these chariots a symbol of power and they will accomplish what they are sent out to do And they have different colors, which is absolutely no significance in them. So don't focus on them. But focus on this. At the end of verse 3, all of them are strong. All of them are strong. And in verse 4, Then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said, These are going out to the four winds of heaven after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. What a picture is being painted here in our minds is that the chariots are swift and have wide ranging of movements. They are like the winds. And they go out. And they go out from the presence of God, the heavenly courts. And then this black horse in verse 6, this black horse goes to the north country. This is Babylon, where the woman in the basket is gone. But God comes and he will take care of that too. This is where the most of the devastating opposition of God's people has come from. But God will deal with it. The dappled or the gray street goes to the south country. And that might be Egypt or Edom. God is beginning to take care of all of those people who have opposed him and opposed his people. And the horses and the chariots go out as God commands them to patrol the earth. See, this last vision assures you and me, God's people, that he is sovereign over all nations and his purposes will prevail. So what do you and I do with this? It really should bring a response of repentance and faith. For us who are Christians, it really calls us today to show a similar trust to live joyfully in obedience to Jesus and to be devoted to building the temple or, in our case, the church. You know, God calls us to go and make disciples of all nations. And a lot of the things that keep us from that are just a lack of trust, knowing that God is in control. We come up with all the reasons, right? I can't speak well enough. I'm not social enough. I'm too shy. I'm too... Whatever. Yet God has given us a command. And oftentimes our lack of 
faithfully being obedient is a lack of trust. It is a challenge for you and for me that we don't grow also, that we don't grow complacent and get comfortable and secure in a world that has coming judgment. We see Revelation 19 also develops this imagery, this picture of, of our Lord and our Savior Jesus and the armies of heaven riding on a white horse and striking down the rebellious nations. You know, I've said this before, Revelation 19 is like UFC Jesus. So oftentimes we picture Jesus and we're like, he's on like this green metal hill with like a guitar singing Kumbaya with neatly combed hair and for some reason that's blonde and blue-eyed, I don't know why. Revelation 19 point, paints a very different picture. A very different picture. And just like Zechariah's final vision, Christ's certain victory gives courage to God's people today and inspires obedience to his word. And so what? The Lord who loves and restores his people is also the righteous God who will judge and punish sin. And I think three things come out of here, out of this text. Your sin will not be hidden from God. You and I have secret sins. We have sins that we keep from the closest to us, our spouses or best friends or the church. But you can't hide it from an all-knowing, all-seeing God. You can't hide it. And And you can't escape judgment. But if you will confess them, if you will discover them and, 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 and judge yourself a sinner turning to Christ in faith, then your sin will be removed and placed on the cross. Then you will be brought to God to know His love and to live now as a beloved member of His family. The second thing is this. There is a removal of the sinner from the midst of God's people. There will be a transformation of what remains into this purified remnant. Sin will have no dominion over you, Romans 6.14 says. It's a promise that encourages us eagerly to pursue lives of new obedience. The third thing is this, that the sinner will not be, will not be a continuing threat to God. God will set everything right again. He will send out His armies Christ's certain victory gives courage to God's people today and inspires obedience to his word. To the sinner thinking that he or she is good enough, this is a warning. To the Christian who thinks that you're good because no one knows about your sin, uh, this is also a warning. But to the sinner who is resting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, that he died for our sins and rose again. This is encouraging. The Lord who loves and restores his people is also righteous and will punish sin. Let us continue to worship our awesome God today.